0: Would you take the Word of God and turn with me to the book of Acts and uh, chapter 26 in your Bibles, the book of Acts and uh, chapter 26. As I mentioned, those last uh, few chapters of the book of Acts, as we've looked at the book as a whole... We think about the work of the church in the very uh, first century and how the churches multiplied, how God used Paul in a great way to uh, spread the gospel, to establish churches. If you look at a map, probably you could say all around the Mediterranean, uh, at least the north, uh, eastern part, and how the gospel really spread from there. And in those last chapters, we don't see Paul in his capacity as. Uh, A missionary or a church planter. We see him in his capacity as a prisoner and uh, how he speaks for himself although he's been falsely accused. And in Acts chapter 26 he has an opportunity to speak before a great group of people. We know that King Agrippa is there. Um, His sister Bernice and uh, Festus. He spoke before Festus and Felix and uh, he also stands before uh, the chief captains of uh, the Romans, and so there's a great crowd gathered there, and Paul is has an opportunity to speak for himself, as we saw in the very first chapter. King Agrippa gives him an opportunity to speak, and he is going to give the reason why he is standing there today on that on that specific day, and we pick it up here in the midst of that in verse 12. Notice Acts chapter 26, verse 12. He says, Whereupon... I went to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests. At midday, O king, I saw the way in the way, a light from heaven above the brightness of the sun, shining round about me and them which journeyed with me. And when we were all fallen to the earth, I heard a voice speaking unto me, saying in the Hebrew tongue, "Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me?" It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And I said, Who art thou, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things in the which I will appear unto thee. Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision." but showed first unto them of Damascus and at Jerusalem throughout all the coast of Judea, and then to the Gentiles that they should repent and turn to God and do works meet for repentance. I'd like to bring your attention back in verse 16. He says, but rise and stand upon thy feet. That's the Lord speaking to Paul. For I have appeared unto thee, and here it is, for this purpose. So the Lord appeared to Paul, notice he says, for this purpose. Here is why I have appeared unto you. And he appeared to him so that he would be a witness, to be a light to the Gentiles and so forth. But then he says this in verse 19. Notice, at the end of the verse says, I have not been disobedient Unto the heavenly vision. So I'd like to preach this morning Paul's purpose in the heavenly vision. Paul's purpose in the heavenly vision. As we come here to the Word of God and we read throughout the Bible, sometimes there are things that we read and initially we may have an idea as to what that specifically means. When we think about this heavenly vision that Paul is referring to, there is a number of times that the Lord appeared to Paul, but the very first time in Acts chapter 9, the Lord appeared to Paul, and you remember, as we've already dealt with back in Acts chapter 9, uh, Paul fell backwards. He was on his road to Damascus, and on the road, by the way, to be a persecutor of the church, to be able to imprison, to give testimony against anyone who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. He was a persecutor, and on his way to Damascus to do just that deed, the Lord intervened in his life, and there were really two questions that were asked at that time. The first question was, who art thou, Lord? And then there was a second question, and the second question was, what will thou have me to do? And those two questions, as I already dealt with it, are very fundamental to our lives. The first question really has to do with our salvation. Who is the Lord? It's interesting that as uh, uh, Paul was confronted, he didn't say, Who art thou? He said, Who art thou, Lord? You see, the truth is, the apostle Paul believed in God. He believed in the Lord. He believed in the Lord's authority. He just did not believe that Jesus was Lord. And so when he said, Who art thou, Lord? Jesus replied, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And in that moment, Paul recognized that Jesus Christ was Lord. And when that happened, he recognized that when Jesus Christ came, he was indeed the Messiah. That when Jesus Christ came, he came to die for our sins, to give his life a ransom for all. And when he recognized who Jesus Christ was, then he was able to ask the second question, and that is, what will thou have me to do? The first question comes first. You cannot carry out and ask the second question or fulfill the answer to the second question until you first answer that first question. When Paul is referring here to a heavenly vision, we have to understand here that we're not talking about just an apparition or just this scene where this is something that Paul saw. The focus here in our text is on what does what does did this vision mean practically for the life of Paul? You know, often uh, people speak of experience or having a religious experience, and if you ask for the specifics on those religious experiences, it's quite um, shallow. It's unspecific, and you really can't put your finger on it. It's so general. But this is not what happened to Paul. Uh, I would like to spend some time this morning, because I've already preached through Acts 9, and Paul here is recounting in part what happened in Acts chapter 9. But I would like to ask the question, what is this heavenly vision in our text? What is this? And what do we learn about this heavenly vision? And although we're going to say at the onset, none of us has had this specific, this specific instance happened in our lives that happened to Paul. We were not one day on the road traveling, riding on a, uh, the back of a, of a donkey, and all of a sudden a light shone, and we fell backwards, and then God spoke audibly to us. We haven't had that experience. But as we think about this heavenly vision, there are some truths that we can take away from this experience that Paul had. And think about our own lives and ask ourselves, in the end, have we been obedient to the heavenly vision that's been communicated to us? So what is this heavenly vision and what do we learn about this heavenly vision? The purpose of the heavenly vision. As we look at our text, I'm going to really focus on this heavenly vision and uh, build some truths that we find in our text on this heavenly vision. But the first thing we find is that A heavenly vision is the communication of a calling upon one's life. So that's the first point here. A heavenly vision, as we find it in our text, is the communication of a calling upon one's life. And I emphasize the word communication. Uh, We may think of a heavenly vision and we may say, well, I had a dream and I saw this and we communicate our interpretation about this vision. Uh, But here, Paul does not give his interpretation of a heavenly vision. He gives us the details of what was communicated. He gives us the details of what was said in this heavenly vision. If you notice in verse 15 with me, the Word of God says, and I said, who art thou, Lord? Paul says, that's the question I asked. And the Bible says, And he said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. So that's a reference to Acts chapter 9. And so here he says, we see that this heavenly vision is what he, Paul recounts what he said. When Paul stands before King Agrippa, and King Agrippa says, why are you a prisoner here? Why have you been accused? Why do the Jews hate you so much? Uh, Paul speaks of a heavenly vision, but he speaks specifically of what was said in this heavenly vision, not just what he saw. Verse 19, notice, he says this, Whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient unto the heavenly vision. And so I would like here to see, when we think about here this heavenly vision, This it is a communication of the Lord's call upon the life of Paul. And so Paul here places... Uh, based upon his own words, he places an emphasis on what was said to him in this vision and not just on what he saw in the vision. You see, the vision that Paul received was grounded in the communication that was given to him and not just on the experience that he had. Now, that's important. You see, Paul was not trying to impress King Agrippa uh, by his experience. He was trying to show King Agrippa that his experience was grounded in something that was specific, something that was communicated to him, something that was said to him that he couldn't get away from. You see, Paul does not respond with his own interpretation of an experience. He had. He establishes the validity of an experience with something that was real, something that was logical, and something that was understandable. Let me put it very clearly here. Any true religious experience will be based, if it is a true experience, on something that is real, that is logical, and that is understandable. And that's what Paul communicates. Here is what was said to me. And I have not been disobedient to what was said to me. You see, Paul's life had been completely changed, not by what he saw, but by what he heard. What I'm saying is when Paul saw, remember he asked the question, Who art thou, Lord? And there was a reply, I am Jesus. He doesn't communicate what he thought the appearance was. He communicates what was said to him in that appearance. And so Paul's life has been completely changed by what was heard. You see, if the vision consisted only of something that was seen, but there was no communication, it would be left up to Paul to determine what must be done from this point forward. It was not Paul that chose his calling. His calling was from the Lord himself. You see, it is also important to note here that this heavenly vision was really communicated in two parts. The first part, if you remember, that Paul references is uh, what the Lord said to him on the road to Damascus. But you remember, if you go back to Acts chapter 9, what the Lord told Paul, he says, what will thou have me to do? That was the second question. The Lord said to Paul, go to Damascus and it will be told thee what thou must do. And you remember when Paul went to uh, Damascus, he, uh, the Lord uh, told Ananias to go to the Apostle Paul. He was not the Apostle Paul at that time, but to go to Paul and to communicate to Paul what God said to Ananias. So the emphasis here, notice again, uh, is two parts. This vision that Paul talks about is, he's referring included in this heavenly vision, was not just what happened on the road to Damascus, but it was also what happened when Paul was in the room and Ananias came to him and told them what God said that he was to do. That is included in this heavenly vision. You see, when Paul speaks of the heavenly vision, the content he shares before King Agrippa is the combination of what the Lord said to him as well as what Ananias said to him. And so Paul refers to the whole of what happened as this heavenly vision. And so what I'm establishing here is when we think here about this heavenly vision that Paul is communicating when he says, I have not been disobedient to this heavenly vision. We must have in our mind that a heavenly vision is the communication of a calling, upon Paul's life with an emphasis on the communication you see I believe here that there are too many people when they think about their lives or what they want to do with their lives they say well uh, I am saved but I'm going to do my own thing I'm going to live my own life I'm going to put a call on my own life that I've determined and that's not what Paul said He has been obedient to this heavenly vision, this heavenly vision specifically what God communicated directly to him and then through Ananias, God's servant. So a heavenly vision is the communication of a calling on one's life. But we also see secondly in our text that a heavenly vision also demands a response from the recipient. Uh, Notice in verse uh, uh, 19, Paul says to King Agrippa, I have not been disobedient unto the heavenly vision. And so here, as Paul declares that he has not been disobedient, it indicates to us that the vision that he received demanded a response from him. You see, Paul's experience was not only grounded in communication, but it demanded a response. Evidently, a failure to response from Paul would be what? Disobedience. If Paul had heard what the Lord said, through not only the Lord, but also later Ananias, if Paul had said, I'm not going to do that, then Paul said, I would have been found disobedient. So this heavenly vision demanded action on the part of Paul. Paul did not rest content with the vision itself. He was concerned with what the vision was designed to bring about in his life. His life was going to change completely. You see, a true biblical vision from God does not stop at a vision. Too many professing believers rest content in some experience that they've had uh, where they are not concerned with the obedience or the disobedience. They remain satisfied with the experience itself. Uh, Paul here, he doesn't say, well, I had an experience and... It was an experience. It was wonderful. It was great. I mean, I've never seen anything like it. I've never, had, I've never heard of anybody else having an experience. This was so genuine and it was so real to me. Paul doesn't rest content with that. He says, there was something that was said to me and I was obedient with what was said to me. So a heavenly vision is only the communication of a calling on Paul's life, but it also demanded a response. A response. We also see, thirdly, that a heavenly vision prioritizes a divine or a heavenly purpose over an earthly purpose. Do you notice here, Paul refers to this as a heavenly vision. The vision is a communication from God to Paul, then through Ananias to Paul. There is a response response that is expected of the recipient But we also learn here that that means that there is Paul, he receives this vision, it's heavenly, it's a divine revelation, it's a divine vision, and therefore something has to change in his life, he has to have new priorities, he has a message that comes from heaven. And so Paul calls his encounter with the Lord a heavenly vision. This heavenly vision is going to basically redirect Paul's life it's going to redirect Paul's priorities and here in a greater way than we've ever thought. He was persecuting the church and now he's going to preach the gospel. The same message that he was persecuting and he was trying to stamp out. Paul was giving his life to something, but now the Lord wanted Paul to give his life to something else, something more important, something more spiritual that was not carnal. Now notice here, what was this calling? Well, notice verse 16. But rise and stand upon thy feet, for I have appeared unto thee for this purpose. So there's a purpose, new priority, new purpose, new emphasis in your life, to make thee a minister and a witness both of these things which thou hast seen and of those things which uh, uh, in the which I will appear unto thee, delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan unto God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. So, notice, he says here, there is a new priority for your life, Paul. Here's the purpose. Let me focus on verse 17. He says, Delivering thee from the people and from the Gentiles unto whom now I send thee. That's an interesting expression. I read that verse and I I thought to myself, what does that mean? God says, I'm going to deliver you from the people and I'm going to deliver you from the Gentiles and then I'm going to send you to them. That's interesting. What, 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 What does that mean? Well, it's interesting here that the word delivering here literally means to tear out, to release, to pluck you out, to rescue you. Paul, I've rescued you from, now he was a Pharisee, a Jew. I've rescued you from the people, from the Gentiles. I've plucked you out because I have a purpose for you. My purpose is greater than the purpose that you set out for yourself in this life. And I'm going to give you a new course. And so I'm plucking you out of this world to send you to the world. To send you to those very same people that I've delivered you from. Delivering, notice, from the Gentiles to be sent to the Gentiles. You see, what uh, the Lord was saying is, Paul, you're operating on your own agenda in this world. You're doing what you want to do. You're having your own life. You're treading your own course. And you're going that way on your own. But I want to take you out of that. But you're still going to be in the world. Now I'm going to send you to them. And and notice here, to, to do what specifically? Verse 18, to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light, and from the power of Satan unto God, and that they may receive forgiveness of sins and inheritance among them which are sanctified by faith that is in me. Notice what he says here. Here's the ministry of Paul. He's going to have a ministry of opening people's eyes. Why do people's eyes need to be open? Because they're in darkness. He's going to take them from darkness to light. Notice from the power of Satan unto God and. How how, how does that happen? Well, really, those who are in sin in that condition... By the way, all of us were in that condition. The Bible says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We are all, in, in the sense, we are the children of the devil. We are in bondage to sin. We know the result of that is death. And so we are in darkness. Our eyes are blinded. We are under the power of Satan. But Jesus Christ, the message of the gospel, came... Some 2,000 years ago, the Bible says, to give His life a ransom for all, to shed His blood, so that what? So that we might receive the forgiveness of sin and an inheritance among them that are sanctified by faith that is in me. You see, a heavenly vision prioritizes here a divine or a heavenly purpose over an earthly purpose. So God says, I've delivered you from, plucked you out. I have removed from your life the earthly purpose that you had, and I've given you a better purpose, a divine purpose, a heavenly purpose, to point people to Jesus Christ. Now remember, he was trying to stamp out the name of Jesus Christ. Now he's going to be used to propagate the name of Jesus Christ. So we see a heavenly vision prioritizes a divine purpose over an earthly purpose. But notice, number four, a heavenly vision has a practical purpose outside of the personal benefit of the recipient. Let me say that again. A heavenly vision has a practical purpose that is outside of the personal benefit of the recipient. Notice with me again verse 16. I want you to think about some of the words. That was what was communicated to Paul. Uh, What was he communicated? Verse 16, "...but rise and stand upon thy feet." For I have appeared unto thee for this purpose, to make thee a minister and a witness, both of these things which thou hast seen. So you're going to be a minister. You're going to be a witness. I'm going to send you, verse 17, to them, to do what? To open their eyes. And so the purpose of the call on Paul's life was not a focus... Or a call that was to be focused on Paul's personal benefit. Now that you're saved, Paul, here is how I'm going to make you rich and famous. That's not what he says. He says, "I'm uh, for this purpose have I called you because I want you to be a minister. So the purpose of the call was to make Paul a minister. Uh, interestingly, the word minister, as it, is, as it was used at, at that time, was huperitus, which really means the, ler, the word was used predominantly to refer to a person who was an under oarsman. It was someone who that time you would sail in boats and you would have people, if you go down into the lower parts of the boat, you would have to have, you have those rowers and people would be down in the boat and they would be rowing the boat. And so that word minister was used uh, to mean under oarsmen. And so it comes from a word that literally means to row. Now remember Paul was a Pharisee, Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law blameless, circumcised the eighth day of the tribe of Benjamin. I mean, you think about his title and his um, acceptance among the religious Jews of the day. And now God says, I'm going to take away, pluck you out of this, given you, uh, give you a new purpose. And so uh, what's the new purpose? What is it going to be? Is it for me? No, you're going to be an oarsman. You're going to minister. You're going to be a servant. By the way, this word was used in the general sense to reference someone who was a subordinate, someone who was a minister, an officer, or a servant. And so some may say to themselves today, well, I want a great call on my life. And let me say this, that a great call upon our lives is a call to be an oarsman. It is a call to be a servant. A call to be a a minister. In other words, God, what do you want me to do? What's in it for me? That is not God's call in this heavenly vision. You see, Paul, for the rest of his life, for the rest of his life, would be acting as a subordinate. For this purpose have I called thee To make thee a minister. So a heavenly vision has a practical purpose outside of the personal benefit of the recipient. And what I I mean by that is is this: that um, you know the world has everything reversed. The world presents to you and says, "Hey, you want to be happy? You want to be happy." Here's do this, do this, be involved in this, do this, be rich. And and they they plan out a course for you. And what they put in your mind, the world's philosophy is, don't you want to be happy? Here's what will come in your life. Here's what you need to chase after in order to be happy. And they're putting the emphasis in the wrong place. Because joy and happiness and fulfillment is found as a byproduct of something else. It is not something that is to be chased after. It is not something that is to be chased after. If you're chasing after it, you will be deceived. And you'll think that trying this and this and this and this and this will make you happy. And you never find fulfillment. You remember what uh, Paul said, even as a prisoner, here as a prisoner. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. that's what he said as a prisoner. Time and time again we saw him in the church uh, at the prison in Philippi and him and uh, Barnabas were singing. They were praising the Lord in prison. By the way, the call of God on his life was to be what? A minister. Because he was obedient to the heavenly vision, he was able to rejoice and have the joy of the Lord because it was a byproduct of his obedience. It was what naturally came about because of his obedience. He was not a God and say, now, uh, uh, Paul, I've saved you and I've called you for this purpose because I want you to be happy. That's not what he said. I've called you for you to be a minister. And what he says, you know what will come out of that? You will find fulfillment, joy, and happiness out of my calling in your life. And if you're obedient to that calling, you will find all that you need. So, a heavenly vision has a practical purpose outside the personal benefit of the recipient. Now, but did did uh, was Paul fulfilled in his ministry? Oh, yeah, you read his letter before he died. He was ready. I lay down my life willingly. I'm, I'm ready. I have fought a good fight. I have kept the faith. I, I'm ready. He was not disappointed. He was fulfilled. But his fulfillment was not found in him trying to find fulfillment. His fulfillment was found in his submission to the heavenly vision and to God's call upon his life. So here is where, what we learn from this heavenly vision is that fulfillment and joy and happiness will not be found when we chase after those things. It is, there is a, when we find the practical purpose that is outside of our personal benefit. We, we look to the Lord as our reference for that. Jesus said, I came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give my life a ransom for many. See, we go astray, the world goes, I mean, we have such a self-centered culture, and yet we have the most miserable culture we've ever had. The suicides are up. Depressions are up. Depression for medication. Everything is up. Everybody has got so many things that they're all their fingertips, and they're so more miserable than they've ever been. What's wrong? Self-centered, right? All the ads that you see. You deserve this car. You deserve this phone. You deserve this. You deserve that. Uh, You've earned it. That's not where fulfillment is found. Look outside of yourself. Specifically to the Lord. When Paul says, I have not been disobedient to the heavenly vision. Well, whose vision comes from heaven? The Lord's vision. It's specific. There's one more thing I'd like to bring your attention to. And that is, uh, fifth, that a heavenly vision, if committed to it, is accompanied with a reproach. Now, I, I, I have a hard time ending with this point. But it's just simply the truth that we find here. That this heavenly vision, if committed to it, uh, would be accompanied with a reproach. Notice verse Acts 26, back in verse 6. Remember what he said earlier? He said, And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made of God unto our Father. So Paul says, I'm being judged right now for what I believe, for the hope of the promise, for what I've been preaching about. And so, you see, the potential of disobedience is quite compelling, and it would have been quite compelling when we know what was said to Paul back in Acts chapter 9. You remember what Ananias was to tell Paul? Acts 9:15 But the Lord said to Ananias, "This is what you're going to tell him. Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel." By the way, he was standing right there before a king in Acts 26. "For I will show him how great things he must suffer for my name's sake." That was the initial call in Paul's life. <laughs> Talk about the absence of personal benefit. What a wonderful plan of benefit for serving God. You're going to suffer, Paul, for my name. And notice what Paul said. I was not disobedient unto that heavenly vision, which included what? It was accompanied with a reproach. It was accompanied with a reproach. When Paul was obedient, he knew... When he chose to be obedient, he knew the suffering that would be part of his life and ministry. There was no way that he could have avoided suffering if he stayed committed to the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, Paul had basically a decision to make. Would he rather suffer and bear the name of Jesus Christ? Or would he rather be silent and live a life of ease? Free from reproach and suffering. That's the decision he had to make. But in this heavenly vision, he was not disobedient. Now interestingly, we have this heavenly vision recorded for us in God's Word. Here's where the practical comes in. As I mentioned, we have not had the experience that Paul had on the road to Damascus. Subsequently, with Ananias coming to him, subsequently when he had the Macedonian man appear to him. We we haven't had that experience, we ourselves, but we have the Word of God. And the truth is, here's what we learn. The Word of God itself is a heavenly vision. It is a heavenly vision. It is, the Bible says in 1 Timothy 3, 16, uh, that the Word, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. It is God breathed. This is divine revelation. This is, the heavenly vision, it's the message from God to earth. And so what do we need to do here? Although we may not have the experience that Paul had, we have to uh, think about those same principles and those truths that apply to Paul that must all, all also apply to us. When we think about a heavenly vision, it's really what is it? It's God's communication. Now, if you're not saved, God has showed you from His Word how you can be saved. You have to recognize yourself to be a sinner on your way to hell, condemned under the wrath of God, but that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay for all your sins. And when He died on the cross, the Bible says, God hath made Him to be sin for us, He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. Righteousness is not going to be found with ourselves, with our performance, with our good works. It's going to be found by Jesus Christ. And the Bible says that that righteousness is imputed by faith. By faith. Romans chapter 4. So there's a heavenly vision for the lost, but there's also a heavenly vision in here for those who are saved. There's a call upon our lives, isn't there? Uh, with regards to the church, going into all the world, preach the gospel to every creature, that's very similar to Paul's call in his life. To go and preach and be a light to the Gentiles. We have the same type of call. And so a heavenly vision in the sense of the word of God is God's communication of a calling upon our own lives. And there's an emphasis here on the word Communication. But we also see here that the Word of God, this heavenly vision, demands a response from the recipient. The Word of God, when God communicates to us, uh, there is a response that is demanded on our part. What are we going to do with what's been communicated to us? We also know if we think about the heavenly vision that it really, the Word of God is going to prioritize a divine purpose over an earthly purpose. Jesus said to you, you can't serve God and mammon. You can't have two masters. You have to serve God, the New Testament word is, in singleness. Singleness. Submitting to the heavenly vision, to what God has said. So we prioritize, we, our life is completely changed from a heavenly purpose to, uh, to an earthly purpose, which is where we were engaged before our salvation, but it is possible today today. For us at times to be involved and to prioritize our life for the earthly. Demas forsook Paul because he loved the present world. He changed in that sense from a heavenly purpose, a divine purpose to an earthly purpose. We also see if we think about the word of God, this heavenly vision, it has a practical purpose outside of the personal benefit of the recipient. We talked about in Sunday school this morning about spiritual gifts. And one of the point of emphasis we find in the New Testament is that spiritual gifts are given to every believer for the benefit of the whole, that we may edify one another. A spiritual gift is not given so that we can say, oh, I got this spiritual gift. It says, how can I use that to help somebody else? That's God's call upon our lives. And so this heavenly vision, uh, notice, has a practical purpose that is outside of our personal benefit as the recipients of the Word of God. But lastly, this heavenly vision, if committed to it, is accompanied with a reproach. And I think that's where the hard, uh, the hard part comes in. We know that if we truly commit ourselves to the Lord and to His Word and to obe- obedience to His Word, that there is going to be a reproach. The Bible says, All they that li- live godly in Christ shall suffer persecution." Jesus laid out very clearly. He says, the world will hate you because the world hates me. I am not of the world. Therefore, the world doesn't love me. And since you are not of the world, the world will also hate you. But they don't hate you because they hate you. They hate you because they hate me. That's what Jesus said. So there's a certain reproach that is accompanied with those who would live for God, who would answer this heavenly vision. You see, at the time of the Apostle Paul, Paul didn't have the completed Word of God as we have it today. But we need to see the words that we we have in the Word of God as coming directly from heaven, from God to us. This is our heavenly vision. Sometimes people may say if only God could just kind of speak to me and just get a hold of me and if I could just hear his audible voice I would be satisfied. And that's just a lie. Don't believe that lie. Uh, What I'm saying to you is Jesus Christ during his life He, he did miracles. People saw the miracles. Some of the religious people were there when Jesus Christ raised Lazarus from the dead and they still criticized Jesus Christ. Remember Lazarus the women who are standing, they say, Lord, he stinketh. He's been dead for too many days. There is no hope. Even if he hadn't died, then he, he, would, he would be dead by now. Uh, so we, we, we think of all those things. And uh, people, when they saw the miracles and they heard him audibly, by the way, some were even gathered there at his baptism when they heard the voice from heaven says, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. It didn't change their minds. You remember when the rich man is in hell and he looks up to Lazarus, uh, Abraham and he says, Send Lazarus that he may tell my brethren. And you remember what Abraham says, They have Moses and the prophets. He says, If I send Lazarus, they will not believe him, though one rose from the dead. You see, the problem today is not the miracle, is not that we need to hear an audible voice from heaven, it's the hardness of man's heart to listen to God in the first place. So since we're in church, I'm not dealing with everybody in the world, I'm just dealing with you and us who are in church, are we in any way resisting this heavenly vision that we have from God? The calling that we have upon our lives, the priorities that we ought to have in our lives? Are we resisting this? Are we can we say with Paul, with Paul, I have not been disobedient to this heavenly vision that I've received from God?